welcome to Melanated Conversations, our narrative and our perspective. Here on the podcast, we are amplifying the voices of Black women and sharing their powerful stories of transformation. I'm Tyrion. And I'm Yana. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of Melanated Conversations. I'm your co-host, Tarian. And I'm your co-host, Yana. We are so glad that you decided to join us for another episode today. And as usual, we always bring the hottest, the most exciting guests on our show. And today, I would like to do the honors of welcoming Sable and Brooklyn of Equitable Outcomes to our show today. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yes. It is so good to be here. Yes. Thank you. We are so excited to chat with you about all the wonderful things that you two ladies are doing with your organization and helping educators um, and, and making sure that our Black and Brown children have equity when it comes to um, their education. So we will get into that here in a few minutes. But before we do that, we always like to play a round of don't drop the mic. So Yana, I'm going to give it, give the mic over to you and let you take, take that over. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. So since the conversation, I felt like we're going to be talking all things related to education and school. I wanted to kind of like center our question around that and take us back to school. So this one is a um, one gotta go question. So out of the three items, Think about your school experience. Mm-hmm. I know it's different from each of us, but out of the three, one has to go forever. It has to be removed from your entire school experience. Mm. So mm. sports, athletics, special events. So that's prom, homecoming, graduation, pageants, talent shows, anything of that sort, or extracurriculars. Um, so that's any clubs, um, student trips related to it associated plays recitals anything of that sort so band and everything so i don't know who, who wants to go first brooklyn this is brooklyn so looks like she's ready to go first <laughs> no i am the opposite i am not ready because i'm like i need all of those things in, oh. my, in my childhood <laughs> sable are you ready oh i have no conflict whatsoever sports can go oh, okay well, okay it, it'll be It'll be a safer place for all of us if sports was removed <laughs> from my educational experience. I was just this tall. I'm six one, so oh wow! By the fifth grade, I was five ten, which means that I was this tall, gangly, uncoordinated child that everyone thought should know how to play basketball, especially because she was black and she was tall. And I had nothing. I would I would walk into walls and like read books while crossing the street. I had no business being on a court. So <laughs> sports, it would be safer for all of us if sports left. <laughs> Though I do have a spot, a soft spot for volleyball. Okay. Oh. <laughs> nice. That is so funny. So Sable and I have never actually met in person because mm-hmm. we have first connected virtually like during the COVID world. And oh, so wow. I didn't even know you were six one. Yes. I'm tall. <laughs> that is crazy. That's well, wild. The prize has been spoiled. Now I'll, I'll know that when we meet in person. I, okay, I, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brooklyn. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, I literally don't know how to answer this question. Like I was the student that was the master of none, like did everything, but was mm-hmm. never, like amazing at anything. I mean, maybe I'm just being humble, but yeah, I love sports, love extracurriculars, love events. I was like, I was like the person that was like homecoming queen, what was on the track team, but also did like uh, community theater growing up, was like in my church choir. I was doing all the things all at the same time. And I think they shaped me to be like a pretty incredible woman. So mm-hmm. that's, it's hard for me to answer this question. I, I yeah, I'm not gonna answer. <laughs> she said, I need no, all no, you're, the first, going. <laughs> you're the first person in history that's like, I'm not going to answer the question. <laughs> and I welcome that. I, okay. I'm just gonna say I am totally okay with that. Thank um you. you're welcome. 
Okay, Sable, first of all, I, I just have to say uh, you are the tallest person in the Zoom and I am the shortest person in the Zoom. I probably oh. come up to your thigh. I'm oh my nine God. I'm, no, I'm four, I'm four, nine and a half. I'm four, nine and a half. No Like way. I'm short. Yes, what? yes, I'm short. I'm it shocked. Short. You have such a big personality. I'm, I'm so shocked. I, yes. I yes. try to carry that with me because I know when people, when I walk into a room, somebody's going to try to size me up because I'm so small. Uh-uh, mm. not this one not, not, having one. not having it um mm. anyway so i'm looking forward to the day or the opportunity to get to meet you in person just so we could take a picture together yes <laughs> okay. i'm so here for it <laughs> um i am going i'm not going to say i'm not going to answer the question because i'm gonna answer the question but i'm not going to answer the question i'm with sable i was like in everything i did everything um although technically cheerleading to some people is not a sport but it was a sport to me. Absolutely. Yes. So you had to get a physical for it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You better believe That's it. an absolute sport. Thank you. Oh, so, cheer, dance, piano. No misogyny choir. here today. That is Thank a sport. You. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Musical theater, like all of that. I Yeah. And I mean, I couldn't graduation from like that's a quintessential part of, you know, your high school experience. That mm. That's what helps the close everything out so mm. i'm not getting rid of any of them okay see? so that's what we're doing today that's oh we started a movement now Ow. now that's our guests our guests have that we can we can stand that to our guests but you know how this flows one has to go <laughs> i have to pick one so so terry and i go back and forth on this because she knows i have this love for food and every question she drops is usually a food related question i have to let it go so yeah, no, <laughs> okay, I have to pick one. Got you. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm going to get rid of of the events, and that's only because so much of my cheer and dance and being on stage that's like so much a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to get rid of it. You can I'll get on the stage at some point. I'll cross <laughs> the stage at some point. Like you know, what I'm saying I'm gonna be dancing somewhere. So <laughs> it don't have to be at the prom or homecoming or anything like that. So if I'm going to get rid of something, then it would be like those special, special events. Okay, I yes. the question. Are you happy? <laughs> I'm with you on that. It was okay. hard for me. I'm actually like with Brooklyn, like all of these shape me. Um, but I'm going to go with special events too, only for the sake of, every, I'm, I'm thinking back on every one of these events, prom, homecoming, graduation, every one of these events, you guys, they were rained out so they weren't oh. <laughs> every wow. event was rained oh my out. god oh no wow. our graduation our graduation was supposed to have been outside it got rained out so we got moved in at the last minute um prom monsoon uh, not a monsoon i'm, I'm a graduating but you know when you're trying to be cute in your heels and your, and your hair and mm-hmm. the hair yeah. no and that was mm. It wasn't the very most most pleasant. And then homecoming, it was cold and rainy. Mm-mm. So yeah, all three of my senior like special events were all rained out. So oh, you remember your graduation? You did so have to sad. go inside for your graduation. <laughs> that the same night we went to Memphis later on that night. We did. We did. <laughs> but no, thank you, ladies, for playing with us. Yes. It was cool to kind of and it also gave us some little insight onto each of you because now mm-hmm. we know Brooklyn is like the she's the person to call for everything she right does. she was definitely being more than humble Brooklyn <laughs> I'm side-eyeing you right now yeah. <laughs> I love it love love it okay so let's jump into our conversation are y'all ready, mm-hmm. ready all right mm-hmm. all right so Brooklyn and Sable can you both tell us a little bit about your backstory I guess individually um, what are your roots? Where are you from? And then can you let us and our listeners know how you two connected? We kind of heard Brooklyn allude to it earlier, but can you give us a little more details and information about that as well? All right. So my backstory, I'm actually from New York, born and raised in New York. And that's where my entire, I mean, I went away for college, but that's where my entire life and career and education was up until almost two years ago when I drove across the country with my now wife and our dog. And only what we could fit in our car is what we moved out here with. 
And so we drove across the country and moved to Sacramento, which is where I eventually virtually met Brooklyn. And part of the reason why we met was because I got out here, I had recently um, started Equitable Outcomes, and I wanted to connect with local education because it feels it felt so important for me to be able to be connected with the community I was a part of, especially since that was something I had a privilege of being teaching where I was from, right? And knowing how important it is to like know your community and know your people. So I knew I had to start plugging in. And so through that process, I started volunteering, hosting different events for other teachers and I guess like a, alum in education. And that's, it was through one of those events that I met Brooklyn and we just kind of vibed. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, what would you say, Brooklyn? Yeah, it was, it was just love at first talk, I think. Yes, <laughs> love at first talk. <laughs> yes, yes. And so we, I guess in terms of like how we specifically connected to, in terms of like the things we're working on today, we, um, I think it was, what was it? I think we were hosting an IG live, right? Hyping up an event for where I was like interviewing um, all these other candidates for school board. And um, Brooklyn was interviewing me and we were just going back and forth and talk. We were talking, we were saying the things that weren't supposed to be said about education and anti-Blackness and how it shows up and what, and what people expect of Black women. And we were like, this conversation should not end. And so, and now we're here. Um, but that's a backstory. So did do you have a background in education? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, okay. So yes, I've been in education for over 10 years. Um, I um, actually, when I went to college, I was actually pre-med my whole life, but then my freshman year of college, I took um, a black history course and it, it totally changed the way I saw the world and myself. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel so empowered. And I was angry that I had to go through so many barriers, so many hoops or whatever you call those things. Yeah. To, to find out about my people and find out how badass we are and find out about all the resistance we've been doing. And it felt like it was being, it was like a secret being kept. And I just thought about all the other people that looked like me that didn't have access to this information because they didn't pass all of these elite tests and how it would change how if other kids who look like me understood our history, like how it would change our confidence, how it would change how we show up, how it would change the things we do and don't accept. And so I was I swerved right out of pre-med and in, into education because I was just like, this is this is not okay. And the people need to know and my people need to know. And so ever since then, I've just been driven to um, create experiences that allow black and brown children to thrive and for us to know ourselves because the system is designed for us to not. And yeah. every every movement I've been around is like trying to do that. And when people, individuals or institutions try to stop me, I swerve and go on to the next. And now we're here. <laughs> so yes. Woo. Talk about some fire. That is, <laughs> that's wonderful. That is so awesome. I love that. I'm a former educator, but this, this conversation is not about me. Let's talk. Brooklyn, where are you from? Tell us about your backstory. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I am from Fresno, California, and my grandparents on both my parents' sides are from the South. So I just have so much love and appreciation for Arkansas, for oh, North on, Carolina, for Louisiana, <laughs> where my grandparents are from. Hello. Yes, yes, yes. And I actually started my career in education in Mississippi. So Yes, yeah, Southern roots are just what? deep and so, so rich and so much a part of who I am. Um, but yeah, so I'm from Fresno, mm -hmm. born to educators. Um, and I was like, I am not going to be an educator. They don't make enough money. <laughs> they work really hard. And now for the last, I think this is now my 12th year in education. Like I, I don't see myself doing anything else. Um, like this is my passion. This is my 
my love. And it's a, I think it's a part of my deep roots. My grandparents in the Central Valley started a first African-American newspaper business called the California Advocate. And so their, their whole goal was to make sure that like the narratives about black and brown people were serving them and, and that they got to elevate the perspectives of black and brown people where that was like otherwise not happening. And so I felt like I grew up with the affirmation of what it meant to be black mm. outside of an academic context. But every time I would show up in school and look around my classrooms, I was like one of a couple black students in all of my classrooms. I mean, from like third grade to high school, I just did not see myself represented in, in the spaces that I was in. And so I always had kind of like this, this, uh, like dissonance or this this tension and thinking about like who I am mm. and what my purpose and my role is in in this world. Um, like I am, am I a person that is only designed to like serve and entertain, or am I a person who can challenge what a- academic norms are for others? Yeah, I just didn't see myself in. I just didn't see myself as a smart person growing up, um, just because mm. of what I was around in my classes, but I was so affirmed by like my parents and my grandparents and my family, my church, like deep roots and like the Baptist like church that I grew up in. And, and yeah, so I, I uh, left, went to college, um, started to think about like, what do I want to do? Um, given like who, who my family is and, and the work that's needed and, and teaching was the thing that was like, yeah, this is like the lifelong work that I, I want to commit to in ensuring that like the, the voices and perspectives of black and brown children are always elevated and that people are reminded of their like remarkable, just their brilliance. Um, mm-hmm. And so that has been a part of my work and my mission. And now I get to work alongside a team of educators who are tasked with like supporting first and second year teachers in the classroom and like lifelong educators to continue that work in creating equity in classrooms across across California. I love that. I'm just going to say this and go and get this out of the way because y'all going to hear this over and over and over. I just love y'all. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Brooklyn, you, just, you touched on something too that I think what really is what, what sparks Terry and I as well because we're from the South. Mm. And that Delta area is where we we experienced and seen the most inequitable spaces when it comes to education. And just even now, just how seeing how children have been left. I hate doing that. It's not the. It's, I'm not talking about the no left, no child left behind. But children are definitely being left, definitely being left behind in in those spaces and just from being in that being so close to that um it's very triggering and that's why I'm so thankful that we're having this conversation today because it's so necessary in general but even just so for us back home it's just something this is a narrative that I want my people to hear you guys talked a little bit about um, how you got into education, what formulated that and what, what, you know, what drove you to, you know, really what pushed you into this profession. But can you share what personal experiences led you to the turning point of advocating for equitable um, educational experiences of black and brown children, as well as creating a, a, like a space, a source of support for other teachers and administrators in this space? Um, do you have a specific event or anything that happened to you that was like, it's time to turn a new leaf in this area? Like, we got to speak of. I'm trying to pick one, just one. Oh. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, um, those kinds of experiences ha- have happened so frequently that it's, those are usually what triggered my pivots and my moves, right? Um, okay. So I have an example from my last year teaching. At this school, I was a founding teacher, which means the school's growing and has growing pains, right? The part of the growing pains is figuring out like our policies and what we're about. And so we had finally started a basketball team and there was a boys basketball team and a girls basketball team. And what had started to happen is that with the 
boys basketball team, we were celebrated on the court. And then like the students on the boys basketball team, wonderful students, but started acting terribly because they were like, you know, sports guys. Whereas the girls basketball team, they had a different, they were like being held accountable to like staying on top of their schoolwork and to doing all of the things, right? And so that, that really upset me because it, it felt like it was reinforcing a message that the only value that black and brown people have is their bodies and their entertainment and that they're not capable of using or stretching their mind to create good things in the world and to learn and grow. And part of the issue, when I brought this issue up, the pushback I received was, well, they just, they just don't have anything. We, they just need like a good experience. And like, you know, the world is so harsh out there, police brutality, like let them just be kids and all of this other stuff. That was just problematic because it was just really hurting the kids who were on the team, hurting the kids who were off the team and just reinforcing all of these honestly racist and then also misogynist messages about the kids and how to relate to each other because the boys and girls are literally held to different standards. And then the boys are held to that standard because of like, I don't know what police brutality has to do with like being expected to do your homework. <laughs> like, I, I just don't know. Can somebody tell me? And so to continue to push back, I, I sent out this email laying out exactly how this was replicating and reinforcing racist messages from society in our school. And then basically the school kind of broke. <laughs> like everyone was in their feelings. It was, oh, it was like, oh my God, disabled think this, this is all of this stuff. You should have asked for permission. Da, 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 da. And it, it became, everything became about like everyone's egos and personal feelings as opposed to what is the world that we're creating for our children and what are we teaching them about themselves and so that I bring that up because you know it, it was effective we were able to get in a student contract and where we, the conversations around the relationship between how you show up in this space versus this space we're having those things for kids and and so I'm proud of that and I'm happy about that but the toll it took and how it impacted my relationships with everyone on staff because it, it was it was ridiculous and so I feel like I bring that up because I think in education over and over again we center our intent over our impact and it's like you break a secret code or like a trust or something if you talk about if you prioritize impact over intent, but that's what black children need. Like everyone is talking about what we meant to do for black kids. And then in the meantime, black kids are being left out. In the meantime, what you're talking about, Yana, ha is happening over and over again. And so it's like, I feel like that experience taught me that actually personal feelings don't matter. And I, I don't care about them. And I'm not here to change hearts and minds. I'm here to hold us accountable to the things we're doing for black children. And if you have a problem with it, that is a personal problem because it has nothing to do with the job description and what we're here for. And so, um, you know, operating like that has caused interesting experiences throughout my career. And I have no regrets because it, it's, it's always about trying to center Black children. Ah, that's just I one that. example. I mm. love that. I, that's so interesting. Like the, I love that statement. Like you want impact over intention. A lot of times our intentions our hopes or our desires for what we want to see as an outcome, right? But your intentions don't always come to fruition, whereas your impact is a tangible thing that we see happening for, for children um, and for students. And so I, gosh, simple, but yet, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I love that. Brooklyn, did you want to answer this or we can go to the next question? Do you have anything yeah, to add? I can, okay. For sure. I can answer just really quickly. I think the thing that like the, the experience that comes to mind was my first year teaching uh, in Quitman County, Mississippi. Shout out to Quitman County. That, that space is like the most, I have worked with the most brilliant students and educators. Quitman County is a beautiful, a beautiful um, place to be. So if you get a chance, please visit. 
yeah, in my first year teaching, I remember one of the students who typically in all his, all of his classes got like straight A's. He was like that student, like just excelled at everything at school. And we were doing a unit on our community, like understanding like what is beautiful in the community that we are in. And I was an art teacher. So every, every unit was about creation um, and like elevating the voice and perspective of each student given whatever unit we were um, covering and the topics that we were discussing. And we were making a comparison between a school down the street that was 100% white and our school, which was basically 100% black and why that school had, it was a private school. That school was a private school with all the facilities, all the things you would drive by and just like look like in awe of this like place, a place I'd never been in. And my students have never, you know, set foot in, but you just knew that they had all the things. And our school, like we had some issues with facilities or we had, you know, there, it just was not as, as beautiful and uh, clearly like even as big in size. And I remember asking my one of my students, um, what he said was like, "There, uh, this will always be this way. Um, this will never change." And I was so, I was so angry when I heard him say this. Like a student who is has so much faith in his own education because he's doing really well, yet he does not have faith for the changes that could take place in the future in his community or in the world because he just knows like, no, this, like, this will always be this way. Like white kids will always have more than black kids in my, in my community, in my country. And I think that experience just lit such a fire under me. And I was like, no, like it cannot always be this way for us. Um, so I think that was the thing that like, that has continued to keep me in education and keep me committed to the work is thinking about like, my mission is to make sure with black folks that we are, we are experiencing a different future. We do not have to, like, we just, we need, just need We're to have deserving. a different experience. Yes, we are. Yes. I don't want to like harper too much on that because I know we have a lot that we want to cover today. So I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> no, that's why I'm trying to like, just keep my, that's why I'm like, I, I'm trying to keep my reins because I don't want to make this Right. I understand. I yes. I think that's for like another whole nother side conversation mm -hmm. where we can have mm -hmm. with, with you ladies just about our experiences as educators. Mm -hmm. But um I, I want to know how does equitable outcomes help leaders and educators disrupt, you know, the unconscious biases that and and create access to um cultivate change within our the education systems what how does that kind of set you apart from even some of these other kind of diversity training organizations what how, how yeah can you let us know how how you were able to do that yeah definitely so equitable outcomes is all about being at the intersection of instruction and equity because you know we have curriculum companies and we have dei companies and you know school systems contract both and they have those conversations very separately and yet um they don't really interact and i also find school and system leaders are often at a loss for um uh beyond saying like something like all children um don't really know how to take what they're learning in the dei context and apply it into um actual instruction like they they don't they think it's just it's all about responding to problematic comments and once you do that like bam you're good on DEI but that's not what it is at all the issue is that unconscious bias and honestly conscious like but that's a whole nother thing <laughs> is being allowed to um have power in instructional decision making unconscious bias is determining whether or not black children get grade level content Unconscious bias is determining um, whether or not um, a child, whether or not a teacher perceives that they have a chance. And the whole thing about equitable outcomes is helping school and system leaders design systems that can actively disrupt that. And so that means in, in my PLC or professional learning community, if we're making a decision on whether or not to use this um, text, well, one, 
if it's a grade level text, it's not a decision we're making, we're using it, number one. Number two, we, we help them how, learn how to coach their teachers to use actual evidence, like to use what black children are telling us about what they need, not what we think about it, you know, not what we're imagining about it. What is on the actual page? What did this child, what work did this child show? And how is that telling us? they need support with this standard or this other thing. It's not like a whole, like, I know my kids best and they just can't handle that. No, boo, what did they do in class last week? That's what we're using to make those decisions based off of. And so it's the equitable outcomes disrupts unconscious bias by helping school leaders systematize that process and then also make it a cultural norm. Like conditioning, it's just, Honestly, in education, there are so many like legal and cultural norms that allow people to um, exclude Black children from grade level content. And so it's about cutting through what education literally gives many people permission to do and saying, we're not going to do that anymore. This This is how it's going to look different. Part of it is doing that. And then also part of it is coaching leaders and telling them like, you need to own your instructional power you are responsible for those outcomes. And that's not the end of the world. It's actually like a good thing. We see that attendance is really low. If instead of saying like, parents don't care, or if instead of being like, oh, the kids just don't like math. What if we instead looked at the things that we did that led to that outcome? And then how can we change our actions to produce a different outcome instead of identifying all these things that have nothing to do with our actual job descriptions? that protect us from any accountability towards it. And the first step is believing that all Black children can learn. If you believe that, if a key person with power believes that, then we're going to move mountains. With with equitable outcomes, you can move mountains. I love that. I love that. Um, Did you have something you wanted to add, Brooklyn? Uh, Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say, I have (laughs) never ever in my experience in education experienced anybody that is like stable and <laughs> it makes sense stable why you had like the pre-med background because your brain is like you are like the education scientist and and that's <laughs> I'm like okay oh yes. that's good she education scientist yes yes <laughs> like she she can like she can work with school leaders with educators go and prescribe like a solution that is tailored to their specific needs when they like come to terms with, do we believe that all black children can learn? Yes. Then like, yep, we can, we can figure out all the things from there. Yeah. So stable is the education scientist that this country mm-hmm. needs. I and I believe say. that this framework could be in like literally every school district across it should. the country. Yes. Yes. <laughs> if you're listening, I'll- push Ooh. back. That would help with my workload. <laughs> oh, honey, we, we're still your wife. Um, let's just, oh, I'm trying so hard not to make this personal, but <laughs> it's, it's personal. We might just personal need a- is political. It's hard not to. <laughs> well, true. I mean, we got kids, we have children yes, that are okay. in school. Yes. Like, and this is actually this actually ties into mm. my next question is, and this is for both of you, um, Sable and Brooklyn, is how can we carry this conversation of equitable learning spaces for our children, um, bridging this into our communities, for example, our school boards, local state politics, and even within the school itself, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard, you know, we have, there's even those politics that's within the school itself that you have to navigate as a parent for your child. Um, just, this might be a little bit personal for me. So I'm like, help me and help the people that's listening. How can we do, what can we do um, to really push, um, to, you know, to really, you know, pull a needle in, in this, in this space? Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I will say um, for parents and families, make a fuss. Like, let them know that you your child has a fierce protector and you're not going anywhere. And this, nothing is going to be resolved until your child's needs are met. 
because the reality is education regards black children is generally unprotected. And part of the reason why that, um, well, I don't know, it, it's part of it is that black children are unprotected. And also the other part of it is like, as a field education kind of like disregards black families, right? And so we have to yell, roar louder to make sure that our kids needs are met. Um, you're not imagining it if you feel like your kid's school is standoffish towards you. You're not imagining it. I've been on the inside. They love parent engagement when it's like a positive thing, when it's graduation, when they need help with things. But when you're trying to engage people around why you're not producing for my kid, it's a whole nother story. And so just just don't let up. You're not crazy. Like I'm saying that because I feel like as a system, I think education kind of gaslights Black families into thinking like you're making a big deal of something that's not a big deal. And it, it is absolutely a big deal. And so just, just know that and hold your ground on that. And the other thing is to say um, on the other side of things, if you're trying to agitate and create change um, within the system or as an education provider, or as some sort of professional, just know that equity is not hard trying to maintain your comfort while trying to achieve equity is. And if, because that comfort is built on that inequity and that comfort in this country is built on white supremacy and capitalism. And so if you're trying to protect your comfort, you're not gonna get anywhere. And so if you're a working professional in, in or out the system in education, just remember that we need people who are choosing equity because then we can figure it out. It's not hard. Everyone in the country is like, oh my God, how can we figure out how to make the United States a fair place for Black people? And it's not hard. You just have to want to do it. And it's just, I, I think that's another form of gaslighting too. Like acting as if this is like some intractable problem. We just can't figure it out. No, you just want your goodies forever. And you don't mind that we're left out in the rain. And so just don't get distracted by that and allow yourself to focus on just getting it done, I would say, with the people who want to. Yeah, parent advocacy, what Sable just said just made me think parent advocacy like have moved mountains in this country. And I think that like when we we tap into that, the potential of parent and student advocacy. Like there are organizations across the country who are developing like this, this like political arm to like move and make actual policy change. And I think it also means that like we need to, as parents, connect with those organizations to, to hold people accountable who are trying to hold on to their power at a local level. If you feel like you're not getting anywhere, just know that like across the country, there are organizations that can support you as a parent, us as parents to, to make changes happen with that teacher, with that principal, with that superintendent, with, mm -hmm. with whomever in your school, in your school community. Even with running for school board, you know, we just need, and I've seen school board meetings. We don't need everyone to be on our side. We need one or two people who are inside know the rules and can hold the door open just enough for us to, you know, to hold space for the time to advocate for what we need to. Yeah. Yana and just... Tarion for school board. Mm -hmm. Let's go. <laughs> 2021 I mean... on deck. Because <laughs> uh, it just made me think about here not too long ago in the news. I forget which school district it was. You might have to remind me, Terry. South Lake. I knew you was going to know. They voted to remove anti-racist education or anything surrounded in their curriculum altogether. So what kind of message does that send? <laughs> well, we know what message that sends, but when you're fighting against that, like not even just like, I want to say modern day, like anti-racist type stuff, but even just knowing our history, they want to remove that, that stuff that those are events that have just as much as any other historical thing that was this traumatizing to us as black people, black Americans. Yeah. Um, but we can't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it really ruffles me that when there's even an ounce of discomfort, yeah, they want to dismantle everything. Yeah. 
And now you've got parents, literally, they, you know, the news spoke to several Black parents and they're like, now we, we've we got to- We don't feel safe as a community. We don't feel safe, but now we got to move. We got to go somewhere else. Um, and it's so funny too, I think maybe a night or two after that was aired, that information was shared, then like the sports was talking about, like they have like probably one of the best, like but they want football teams in the city. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm, right. You don't want to talk about the things that are affecting us and making change in those areas. But by golly, y'all can throw a a football, though. Mm -hmm. And we don't want y'all for that. that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Agree 100% with uh, parent advocacy. I had to learn. I learned. I want to say the hard way because it wasn't the hard way because. I feel like I took initiative. It was a little different for you, too, because your your area. Well, yeah. So I, I'm a, um, a former special education teacher. So that was, I was coming from that place, but I noticed, know. yes, but I noticed something that was going on with one of my daughters. I said something in kindergarten and oh no, like this, it's probably not this, but okay. I'm letting you know, like I'm, I'm seeing something. So we need to be in communication about this. Right. Mm-hmm. First grade. Okay. Something still not sitting right with me about this. I'm letting you know, I'm seeing this and I've spoken to prior teacher and I'm talking to you and I'm seeing this and I think this might be an issue. Oh no, like she's doing fine, blah, 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 blah. Mm-mm-mm. Get to second grade. Now it's COVID and we're doing school virtually. Oh no, stuff hit the fan. I was like, nope, calling AP. Mm-hmm. Every, like, mm-hmm. Because I've been saying something about this for two years mm-hmm. and I believe that this is what this, oh no, she's fine. No, I want y'all to do what you're supposed to do and put things in place and let's assess her to see what's going on because I'm telling you something's not right. Sure enough, my gut instinct was 100% right. Mm-hmm. And now baby girl is like soaring. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And not only that, it's like I advocated for my child, but I've also taught her, you speak up for yourself too and you advocate for yourself. And if something is not right, you let your teacher know immediately and you come home and let me know because I'm always have your back, but we got to speak up for ourselves as well. And so she's like taking this whole thing and like, you know what I mean? I'm so proud of her more than anything because Mm -hmm. she's overcome so much, especially just during this school year. But um, I, 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 I totally get Yes. get that and then also just back when I was um, working in special ed and seeing how a lot of times our young boys were you know thrown to the wind and a lot of times it was like god dog it can y'all just build a relationship with a child because mm-hmm. a lot of times that's all they they need sit down for 5 10 20 minutes and just have a conversation get to know that child and be instead of being like oh they're just don't or they just can't, or blah, blah, blah. No. Hey, did you talk to the child? Did you sit down and talk to the child? Or were you just constantly reprimanding the child? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, they can No, you didn't even try to get to know that student whatsoever. So I am a big proponent on advocating and building relationships with children as well, because from an educate from the educator standpoint, um, because like you said, just the systems are already built in place to already want our, our kids. I'm with you on that. And a lot of times with that too, a lot of our children, most of the time, our children are inappropriately misdiagnosed until their Mm, learning journey is. It just might be a child who's just super active and their minds are so active that you just have to understand that. And they just might write it off as, I don't know. Oh, he's... Just whatever terminology, but <laughs> I've seen, uh-huh. I've had friends that is like, my child it doesn't act like this. And come to find out, they just weren't mm-hmm. challenged enough. Tarian, what you yes. did for your daughter is such a beautiful gift to her because she got to see a Black woman who loves her fiercely advocate for her and not yeah. take no for an answer. And just being able to see that, that is so powerful. Like that's how kids learn and not only like what you experience constantly having to say something like that that's what it looks like and it it reminds me of how um there's actual research that talks about why um black kids don't trust their teachers it's Mm -hmm. it's insane what's ridiculous about it is that it's all based on the presumption that um institutes institutions are entitled to the trust 
of Mm -hmm. black families and black children without doing any work to earn it at all whatsoever. And that's not the case with other kinds of families. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I love that you did that for your daughter. And I feel like it's such a a powerful example and that it was hard because institutionally schools feel entitled to just complete ownership over your child's trajectory and can be dismissive. And so that's unfortunately what it has to take. But what you did was such a gift to your daughter. And I just had to like name it. That's what helps create equitable outcomes for Black children. Thank you. Yes. The power of women intuition, like Mm -hmm. women intuition could lead this country into a different place. And Mm -hmm. the more that we tap into that Black women intuition, like that's powerful. So thank yeah. you for sharing that story. Yeah. Of course. No, thank you. I, I can't thank y'all enough for doing what y'all are doing. This, this is amazing. I love it. Um, I know both you, uh, Sable and Brooklyn, you touched on when we're fighting for equity and equitable outcomes within education. A lot of times the hard work has to be done and we have to be persistent and we have to be consistent. And that can be draining a lot of times. And so how would you suggest for those who are not, for parents, um, or even the who educators who are who are um, constantly fighting for this space. Um, how can we protect our space and energy? I almost feel like I know the answer to this, but I I don't want to answer it. So I want you guys to answer that. Like, how are we? How do we protect our our space and our energy when we're fighting for this? And why is this important for our children to see this? I think, and I think this could apply to really anyone. I think the first step is really to be honest with yourself about what you need in order to um, continue to to show up to advocate for and protect Black children. So for example, I'm like thinking about school, right? So I'm thinking about a teacher, right? If you're in a school environment that has like terrible hours, doesn't allow you to incorporate certain things, and um, it's just like a bad culture, and it's just now your vision for equity, you're not even able to do because of how it's impacting you. Like you need to be honest with yourself. If, if you stay in this context, it's going, you're, it's not going to allow you to show up for and advocate for black children. Right. And so part of what you, we have to do is to protect ourselves and to protect our energy. And that means just being, taking stock and taking notice. Like, is, is this helping me or is this not? And sometimes that means, oh, I might need to change schools. Sometimes it might mean I need a conversation um, with a certain person, but it's just because we're working and functioning in a system and society that is white supremacist and capitalist, the neutral is not for you. And so you have to be fierce about protecting your space, your energy and your time because it will drain you dry. And what Black children don't need is for us, for you, for any of us to burn out and leave because we can't do it anymore. And what they also don't need is to see more of us martyring ourselves. That, that's not what I would want for my children. I want them to have a full productive life where they're not just serving the needs of everyone else in the world except for themselves, right? And so just, just protect it because there's just so, there's so much out there that can just drain you dry. No, that was important to hear. And I appreciate you saying that because like you said, that that applies even just in general, not even just in just education, but even just how the turn the world has been <laughs> turning the, the events as of late anyway. Um, it's so important how we protect our space and energy in this. And that extends into so many different elements in our lives. So thanks for sharing that. I wanted to touch on one other thing. Well, you do have a podcast called ah. Ordinary Brilliance, which we're so excited about. And for you guys, if y'all are loving this conversation, I know y'all are. This <laughs> is where you can continue outside of working with Sable and all the things that they have going on, Sable and Brooklyn have going on. But you can actually tune in and to hear them more about these specific topics. But I'm going to let Sable take it over and just tell me, first of all, before we even get into the podcast. I know that there's meaning behind the name Ordinary Brilliance. So I want us to kind of unpack that and what you mean by that and just share a little bit about the concept of the show 
mm-hmm. um, what you guys want, um, you know, what you see this, this, this kind of platform is how it's going to extend that conversation mm-hmm. um, through the talks that you have. Yeah. So ordinary brilliance. Well, the name comes from this idea and this notion that um, it, in education, whenever Black children do amazing things, people fall out their chairs. They're like, oh my God, this is so fantastic. This is like, what? I can't believe you did that. It's a huge, on the surface, it's a huge celebration, but underneath it's kind of like insidious, like anti-Black idea. Like, why is it so shocking? Why is it so revolutionary that a Black child is doing this? You know, if you, if you get, if we just got out of the way Black children should be doing this all the time. So it, it's not it's not exceptional. It's ordinary. And, th- and that's the idea behind it. Black children are ordinarily brilliant. And the point of the podcast is to have conversations around the things that have prevent us from allowing to see Black children's ordinary brilliance, right? And not only that, it will help us think about, well, what are the things that we can say or do differently? What are the beliefs that we need to interrogate, reject, or accept that will allow us to see ordinary brilliance everywhere for all Black children? Um, It's just a fact. All Black children are brilliant. And if you're sensationalizing it, not only am I side-eyeing you, but we have some problems. Um, And so ordinary brilliance is just about that. I love this term. And I remember reading like your explanation and I was like, bro, this is so real. My oldest daughter, she started reading extremely early, all these things and, you know, does extremely well in school. And I remember somebody uh, inboxed me one day she she may have been in like I don't know she was maybe like kindergarten first grade or something like that but somebody from my church at the time inboxed me a white woman and she was like oh my gosh your daughter is such a great reader I just love listening to her read like I can't believe blah 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 and I was like Mm mm-hmm it's not a compliment, especially the way it's No, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, so you just don't expect my child to know how to read or it's exactly. because she's so, like, that's, that's not a thing. Black kids don't be reading. Like, and then imagine what <laughs> black kids who are, who in those experiences, what they're actually, right? Like it, it yes. reminds me of my own educational experience. Like when we think about exceptional black kids, we other them. Yes. We distance them from blackness and other black children and, yes. and add their their value is in their distance from blackness. Yes. And that's harmful too. And we yes. act as exceptional black children. They can we act as if it's a gift to tell them how exceptional they are. We act as if it's a gift to give them access to gifted and talented programs. Yes. I, I'm saying this as someone who's been through it, right? Ooh. And it's it's harmful. Yes. It's harmful it causes damage and it's just not true. It's yes. just not true. And Man, I just think I, about it too, it feels like it also, even for the ones that, you know, are like you said, that separation and I feel like it creates an additional layer of loneliness because yes. they don't know mm-hmm. how, like they are separated from those that look like them. They feel like that's not mm-hmm. the route and then they feel like they're not good enough or yes. they're the only ones that look like themselves. Mm-hmm. It creates this whole kind of additional... And then identity crisis, yes, like yes. your own relationship to Blackness. Like what Brooklyn yes. was saying, like my my best friend from high school, part of the reason why we're best friends is we were the last one standing. <laughs> like there were no... We, we, kept, we were tracked into honors and AP classes and it just yeah. got less and less brown year after year after year and we were just we're the only ones standing yeah it's not okay yeah no I totally see that and I that's why me and my husband stress here at the house like you know you gonna know your Mm -hmm. history you're gonna know all the things and be aware of the things that are happening to your community because I dare don't you think you too smart Right. You know what I mean? That, like, don't, we, that they push away your culture. Your culture yes, exactly. would not be pushed away. Mm-hmm. And I think that we was something too. I advocated, I think about is, um, oh, yeah. As a child, I was accepted into, it was like a statewide art 
math and science school so Mm. they would actually recruit different students from various schools and the districts throughout the state and you can go to this school of course you have to stay on campus you have to live there all of that and I remember going on a visit and I barely saw administrators, well, not even administrators. I didn't see an administrator look like me. Teachers, mm-hmm. I barely saw teachers that look like me. Coaches, like all these different people play. Th- that makes a difference too. Yes. I don't, you can't fully understand if you're not doing the work and everyone doing the work, let's just say that, mm-hmm. um, of understanding not only just accepting that child just, be, just from what they can bring from an academic standpoint, mm-hmm. but understanding the fullness of that child and what they can contribute overall from their full selves. So yeah. what their, you know, their personality, their culture, all of that. And I knew that going there would probably, who knows, would have presented, you know, additional opportunities and scholarships and different things. But I told my mom, I was like, and part of it too, I didn't want to lose my friends and leave that. You know, that was part of that. But I really felt like something inside was telling me, like gut-wise, it was like they're trying to paint as a pretty picture as far as academics. But mm-hmm. even from the academic standpoint, are you really going to be advocated for? Because these are people, these are students coming from all over the state. Or is it going to be equitable from that standpoint? Yeah, they pulled you because you're great in this area. Mm-hmm. But when you're all supposed to be on the same playing field, are you really? Are you going to be advocated for? You're now going to be here by your, not necessarily by yourself, but you're living on campus. And I don't know. And I just didn't feel like it didn't feel right as far yeah. as <laughs> there are a few of us that looked like us. And then two, it was just like, how how much of a push is it going to be for, you know, am I going to be doing more to just have to advocate myself for myself than to really be taken in education? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you on paper, it's supposed to be this wonderful opportunity that you're grateful for. And yet you see all the signs of like the potential harm and the potential danger, right? It's like, it reminds me of how we we think that academics is like the only thing that black children need to be Mm. successful and thrive. And there's so many things that contribute to it. And it's also why you see um, in some of the like high performing schools that when kids go to college, they, even though they're technically academically prepared, can't deal because yeah. all, all the things that you just didn't know how to articulate, Yana, yes. like we're just not there for them. Yeah. And it's just, it's not a safe environment to remove a child from everything they know and the support system, you know, yeah. it's yeah. the support system piece. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just not safe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has oh. been, oh, Jesus. <laughs> You don't know how like because oh, it's so it's so we're so connected to this mm-hmm. only just from our own personal experience from our childhood or different things that we experienced growing up, but also from having children and we're moving differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just so thankful that you um I know Brooklyn had to step away, but we are so thankful for both of you for taking the time to to invest in this work to actually move and answer the call let's just say that because first mm-hmm. of all y'all answer the call to even move into education because that Sally. obviously wasn't what you both saw for yourself <laughs> but I'm so thankful that you said yes, yes to that and standing strong in these mm. efforts because we know as it is just being black is always that is <laughs> that within itself is a move of activism just, yeah. breaking, just mm-hmm. the, the day-to-day things and you know so that you're actually making a, a push in something that is so essential in our lives from every age you know education is important also not even just education itself but that experience is also what makes up the 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 person there's mm-hmm. so many things that you can tie back to those moments of of time in education and how it has played into the person you've become yeah. and it's a long-winded way of me saying I just appreciate that you are um really invested in this work and it's something that 
every school, every <laughs> all schools, you know, um, should invest in and really stand Man. in that work. Because I don't listen here, people. I'm sorry, this is a sidebar. <laughs> Y'all hiring table. Be ready to do the work. Don't say, don't get, don't get all uncomfortable. Don't you know when she turns your school upside down, shift some bridges. Do the work because in yeah. order you got to get through the hard, you've got to do the hard work mm-hmm. and impacting these children's lives and giving them the best is what you are advocating for. Then you should do what it takes. Yeah. Um, and yes, we're calling you out, South Lake, South Lake, and <laughs> all the <laughs> and all of the other ISDs surrounding yeah. Yeah. the DFW area. If I'm gonna keep it a hundred. Mm -hmm. thank you so much and I'm so humbled to share space with you and what you guys are doing just black women doing amazing things talking about amazing things saying deep things it's just it's so beautiful and it's such a gift to the world and it's such it just reminds me of what a beautiful time it is to be alive because in order for me to sustain myself and to do this work and to be unapologetic and to show up in rooms where people don't want to acknowledge racism exists and saying like we have racist outcomes for black kids now let's do something about it like Mm. I need an echo chamber of black women cheering me being fierce themselves seeing that and y'all are a part of that and so I'm I'm so grateful for what you do it's it it um it, I don't, I'm, does this to my soul. I don't know how to, what's the word for it? I feel it. I know. Yeah. It feeds my soul. So yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. It feeds my soul. And part to your question of protecting it, that this is a part of protecting it, right? It's just surrounding myself with people like you guys. So oh, thank you. Oh my you. gosh. That is, what a, wow. Um, I'm gonna try not to be long-winded in my response or my reply <laughs> back. Cause wow, that, that, no, thank you. Thank you for being yeah. you, you and Brooklyn both. My goodness, like this is amazing. Are there any new works or projects that you guys have for 2021? Outside the podcast? <laughs> Outside the podcast, not yet. But if you tune into the podcast, you mm-hmm. will find out soon enough. See you there. Mm-hmm. And, and um, can you oh, go ahead, yeah. Terry? I was just going to ask. Can you let us know like your schedule when yes, you release yes, dates yes. and all that stuff? Here. <laughs> yes. Oh yes. Yeah. So the podcast drops June 15th and we drop um episodes every other week. And we have plenty of women in this space that I don't know if oh, you're gonna yeah. have guests if you're if you're at that point, but we we, we can, can send some in touch on some of that. We I have some people that I know that would be perfect <laughs> for you guys. So Yes, <laughs> I know. I'm I'm so excited. We're like getting everything in order to like yes. put that in place. But I, I'm already planning out season two and thinking about yes. who yes. and stuff like that. Season two, get Come it. on. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yes, ma'am. How can our listeners connect with you? Yes, yes. Um, they can um find me online at um equitableoutcomesllc.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn. My name is Sable Mensafulmore. Connect with me. Let me know what you thought. Um, and yeah, that's how you can find me. Perfect. Perfect. And we will make sure that we have all of those links to both yes. you and Brooklyn on our website. So people Thank can you click so and much. go right there. And yes, yeah. check out Equitable Outcomes. Go ahead and get your beads. Yes. For, <laughs> for some- <laughs> Absolutely. Y'all have a website, Equitable Outcomes LLC.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. We'll make sure that's linked as well. Y'all make sure y'all check them out. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Well, thank you so much, Sable. Thank you. Brooklyn. Yes, Brooklyn. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're so thankful for you both. Um, Again, as I mentioned, what you guys are doing is far beyond amazing and you know we just wish you guys both all the best and we're here to kind of keep you lifted any way that we can so yes yes, please keep us in the loop of everything that you have going on in the future we definitely would love to be a um, math piece for that 
Um, as you guys know on our show, thank you guys for always tuning in and listening and really giving, allowing space for um, these beautiful like women to share in their stories, all the amazing things they have going. You know, here we love to share our lessons and celebrate our successes. So thank you for joining us in that journey. Um, if there's nothing else, I guess until then, melanate on that. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our chat today. Keep the conversation going by heading to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leaving us a review. Have a story of your own to share? Email us at info at melanatedconversations.com or connect with us on social media at Melanated Conversations. Till next time, keep raising your voice.